This episode will be a little technical, but don't worry, I'll try to make it easier for everyone to understand. Exploits, the favorite word for infosec enthusiasts. For me, I get an adrenaline rush when I see a good vulnerability or exploit code. I mean, a real vulnerability, not the cross-site scripting stuff, you know? Usually, when you say exploit code, one thing comes to mind, and that would be, which CVE number is this exploit code tied to, right? Well, that's valid, but this isn't always the case. Sometimes, an exploit code can be when the payload gets delivered, an innovative technique, and this makes it bypass security control, right? Why I'm saying this? Because exploitation can be done in two ways. Okay, bear with me here. The first one is exploiting existing vulnerability, and it doesn't matter if it's zero day or not. The second way is, is to exploit a service using existing tools and services like living of the land binaries. I mean, you deliver your payload with existing tools available in the environment. For the second category, if the pattern used by the attacker is new and never used in the wild, there is a fair chance you will be escaping the secure control. And that makes sense, because no one flagged it yet. But for the first one, you will be detected no matter what, because they already flagged it. In the Black Hat conference, I presented a technique where I abused RPCs or remote procedure calls to deliver my payload, perform code injection, and shuffle between memory addresses. I used two techniques, a usual DLL injection and thread hijacking. Then I delivered the meterpreter payload and went fully undetected. And all of you know, a meterpreter payload gets flagged across the entire world. I even joke about it, that even if you have a startup antivirus company, their first task is to detect meterpreter and metasploit shell codes. As you can see, the only thing different here is the technique and exploit code. For red teamers, finding a vulnerability in the operating system wouldn't be their first objective, believe me, because they know that it will be patched in a week or so. But the technique and the way of handling callbacks and delivering payloads in the stealthier way possible is what matters. Today, on the Cyber Riddler, our talk will be about how we look at exploit codes and how we manage to run them. You're listening to The Cyber Riddler, where we decipher the offensive and defensive side of the cyber world. I'm Ahmed Mraba. When we try to exploit a system, our ultimate goal is to control the machine and get the highest user on the system to perform our post-exploitation phase. So, in desktop applications or in the operating system, we try to perform either RCE or LPE, local privilege escalation. Most of the time, when we manage to do a remote code execution, we tend to get administrative privileges. When it comes to web applications, we try to upload our shells to the server, regardless of the language in which the code is written. Once that accomplished, if we are in a shared hosting site, we tend to stop because most of the companies takes care of the updates and containing codes inside the shared host. It's not always true though, I'm speaking generally. But if the server is managed by the developers, we tend to go further, exploit either vulnerable services or misconfigurations. Now, remember when I said there are two categories before the introduction? It's either the vulnerabilities assigned by CVE or exploit code written with technique in mind, remember? Let's go more into details. In real engagements, you want to be less noisy when you want to exploit. You do want to raise suspicion and you do want to crash services or corrupt internal state of that service because you do want to be detected in real time and in retroactive measures. But there are some other vulnerabilities that are unique and can be reproduced again and again. 
you also can attach another technique you have because it relies on the developer understanding it and it depends on how skillful he is when it comes to mitigating these things. One example would be a skill injection. It will risk whether the developers follow the best practices to avoid making this software vulnerable. Although, if he doesn't understand it, we will be able to exploit the vulnerable code even 20 years from now. One of the great examples I saw in the past is CVE-2020-9331. It implements the Russian cryptographic algorithm developed in accordance with the Microsoft Cryptographic Service Provider CSP. But before explaining the technique used in the vulnerability, let me just give you a refresher of what stack is and what kernel callbacks are. I know that most of you would explain it better than I would, but I will explain it just for you to better understand the technique used. A stack is a data structure that stores local variable and function arguments and other information temporarily. Okay, so it will be storing this information with non-executable permissions. And as you already know, it will have a stack pointer to go through different sections of the stack. You could think about the stack as squares on top of each other, you know, and if you even if you put it in a linear way, and it has a feature of last in first out, which means that the last instructions entered in the stack will be the first element that gets out. Okay, so it has the either RSP or ASP. It will all depends on the architecture. RSP for x64 architecture and ESP for x86. That stores the current stack pointer. What's a callback function is? A callback function is a function that is called through the function pointer. Okay, so people use this to make your application hide in the shadows and this makes it live longer in case the thread gets detected. Okay, don't do the callbacks from the same thread of your exploit code because you don't want the callback to be traced back to you and EDR will be detecting this either by hooking these functions or by using ETW or event tracing for Windows. So ETW is a mechanism to trace and log events are raised by user mode applications and kernel mode drivers. So the last thing I'm going to explain here is the kernel callback. I'm going to give you the official statement from Microsoft website. The kernel's callback mechanism provides a general way of delivering the request and provide notification when certain conditions are satisfied. So in short, Kernel callbacks is a popular mechanism for EDRs to monitor process activity on the system. It will notify them with things like process creation, thread creation, handling requests, image loading, and other things as well. I know, it's a really long review. I know that, I know. I just wanted to get you up to speed just for a few minutes. This isn't just a brief introduction about the topic, but please go back and read more references so you can grasp the knowledge. In the Cyber Riddler podcast, my aim is to give you enjoyable information and I want to leave you with added value. So that's why I try to recap this information with you. Anyway, back to our old friend, Crypto Pro Vulnerability, which tracked by CVE 2020-9331. The vulnerability works as follows. First, the driver registers itself to process creation and image load notifications callback using PS set create process notify routine and PS set load image notify routine. Second, when an image load callback is fired, the driver checks whether the loaded image is in TDLL. If so, it resolves the pointers of several functions inside in TDLL. Third, allocate and queue APC synchronous procedure call using KE initialize APC and KE insert queue APC, respectively. They are using function pointer is called get underscore exported underscore function underscore PTR. By using the name of this function, I think you can get of an idea of where we are headed, right? Any image could be loaded with this function and it could mess up the return address. And callbacks get invoked only when the thread gets scheduled. The function get underscore exported underscore function underscore PTR 
return a kernel mode pointer for memory copy function, and then writes and resume the thread. Please check the Sentinel-1 analysis for this vulnerability. I'm sure you will get more knowledge and give you a lot of details and ideas. I know in the podcast you will not be able to grasp all of it, but at least I want to give you like a glance of the things that you could see. So at least when you review it, it will just stick in your mind, right? So this is what I tried to do in the Cyber Riddler. Why was I being specific when I tried to find a vulnerability that has a good technique? It's because non-vulnerabilities are amazing, but it's hard to replicate because detection engineers already written so many detection rules for it. So it will be hard to use and exploit in the real engagement. Just like the latest MS Office vulnerability, and I mean the famous one, which is Folina. The exploitation was awesome and brilliant. When using legit binaries and blending with the traffic, everything was going smoothly. But now, even if you try calling the binary from CMD, you will get flagged. You will be flagged, even if you didn't do anything. So that's the difference. Always try to focus on findings and learning new techniques that could be used in other engagements. And remember, an exploit code for new CVE is great, but the greatest thing would be to find a technique that can be used in many exploit codes and still looks legit. And that's what I call a juicy exploit. You are listening to The Cyber Riddler, presented by me, Ahmed Murab. Try sharing this episode with anyone you think is interested in exploitation, and he or she already gave you a hard time and headache when it comes to exploitation. Always remember, find new living of the land binaries and thank me later. Till next time, have a great one.